Hey, this is Joe Caminetti Jr. Welcome to the BC Podcast. We hope it inspires you and helps you in your journey with Jesus. Enjoy the message. A little under a year ago, I was having a conversation uh, with a gentleman and we talked about a lot of different things. And uh, as guys typically do, we talked a little bit about sports and then we kind of veered into philosophy and started to get on the subject of religion and talked about this idea of faith. And uh, I began to share with him kind of where I was coming from, some of the things in my life that had convinced me that not only was God real, but that God wanted to be intimately involved in humanity and through Jesus. And uh, we began to talk about it and some of the things that I had seen in philosophy and in science and in my own personal experience that had really kind of built this foundation of faith. And I remember it was such a genuine thing and he was such a great guy. And he, he looked at me and he said, man, I'm really happy for you that you have faith. But he said, it's not as easy for some of us. And I think as we sit here today, maybe in this room or maybe online or at TCI, some of us, as we sit here, we think, you know what? Faith just hasn't been that easy for me. And today we're going to be continuing a message series that Pastor Joe kicked off last week called Encounters. And we're talking about people that Jesus interacted with. And today we're going to talk about an encounter that Jesus had with the high priest named Caiaphas. And I think it's going to be really instructive for a few of us in this room and, and for some of us in some different ways. Part of it, I believe, is for those of us who maybe you're like me, faith has come just a little bit easier to you. You know, you've had those moments of answered prayer. You've had those moments where you just encountered God. He turned your life around or, or you've seen things. And the more you look at science, the more you look at philosophy, it just confirms more and more. And it just kind of creates this beautiful picture of God. And if that's you, I, I want to say, man, congratulations. That's great. Uh, thank God for that. But please understand that there is someone in your life who is having questions or doubts with God. And it may be your grandkid, it may be your kid, it may be your neighbor, your coworker, someone in your sphere and in your world. And you know, the Apostle Peter, he talked about this concept. He said, whenever someone asks you why you believe what you believe, he said, I want you to give them an explanation for what you believe. And so in other words, what he's saying is, look, to just say, I just believe, woo, that's not enough. <laughs> he's saying, when they ask you, you've got to be able to give them an explanation for your faith, but he goes on to say, don't just give them an explanation. He says, give them an explanation with gentleness and humility. And so today I believe Jesus' interaction with Caiaphas is not only going to instruct our explanation, but I believe it's going to give us a greater heart for people who may be struggling with this issue of faith. It may give us a greater love and how to approach and how to talk to somebody like that who has questions or who has doubts. And maybe you're here or you're watching online and and you're somebody that says, you know what, honestly, I'm the person who's struggling with faith. It's not easy for me. I, you know, I have these questions. I have these doubts. I've, I've prayed prayers and I felt like I was praying to a wall. And I asked God to reveal himself and give me a sign. And the only thing I saw was a sign for McDonald's. And, uh, you know, I, I, I went through some tragic experiences in my life. And if a good God existed, how could that happen? Or maybe you sat through that class and that professor told you what a lunatic you'd have to be to believe in Jesus. And I don't know where your faith has come from. And today I know that I can't answer all of your questions. But maybe what I would hope to do is to remove a potential obstacle, something that might get in the way between you and this life of faith. Because here's what I believe, and this is what I, I believe many in this church have experienced, I've experienced, is that a life of faith 
is the most rewarding, most powerful way to experience God in your life. And so today we're going to dig into this. You know, a few weeks ago, my wife, she got a letter in the mail saying that she was uh, summoned to jury duty. And I don't know if you've ever had that summoned before, but most people get a little bit annoyed when they get summoned to jury duty because you're like, oh, I've got to change my schedule. I've got to request off of work. Just a lot of hassle. Um, if I ever get summoned to jury duty, I'm going to be so excited because I think I've just watched too many movies and watched a little too much TV of like Law and Order or moments like A Few Good Men, you know, where Tom Cruise is in there. He's like, I want the truth. And he's like, you can't handle the truth. Sorry, my Jack Nicholson just turned into uh, John Wayne, but I don't know how that happened. But so like there's, the, you know, these moments of courtroom drama. And I, I think that would just be so exciting. And today we're going to peer into a courtroom drama. We're going to peer into a, a courtroom battle between Jesus and Caiaphas. And what we know of Caiaphas from Josephus, who was a secular historian, and then also from what we can tell from the Gospels, he was the high priest of Jerusalem, and he was the high priest from 1880 to 36 AD. This is actually his remains right here. And uh, Caiaphas is chilling today. He's, uh, we have a picture up. Yeah, that's him. This was discovered in 1990. And uh, yeah, it's just really interesting. He seems like he's pretty relaxed. But him and uh, Jesus, they had a courtroom drama that took place. And to give you just a little bit of backstory, there's a lot of tension that's leading up because I know a lot of us, we have this conception of Jesus that he sat on pillows and he did this and he just said really nice things. And he's like, oh, yes, blessed are. Right. Uh, we have this conception of Jesus. But I want to let you know that Jesus was not afraid to poke the bear a little bit. Uh, Jesus was an irritant to a lot of people who were alive in that day, including the religious leaders of which Caiaphas was one of. And so Jesus would do these things where he would tell stories, like these parables, and then at the end of the story, he would reveal that the religious leaders, that they were the butt of the joke, that they were the ones that God was not excited with. And so Jesus would do other things, man. Like he would, uh, he would call them hypocrites. He would do annoying things like heal people on the wrong day. And I know if there's anything that frustrates me, it's when someone gets healed on the wrong day of the week. You know, I, I mean, this is the stuff that's happening. And so there's this huge tension that's being built between Jesus and these religious leaders. And so they begin to look for a way to put him to death. And so they, they recognize there's some challenges to that because the people, whether they believe he's God or not, they believe he's a prophet. You couldn't do some of the things Jesus is doing without at least being a prophet of God. And so it's made Jesus a famous figure, a popular figure. And so the religious leaders have to look for a way to find Jesus in a time when nobody else can actually witness it and watch. And so, sure enough, along comes one of Jesus' followers, Judas Iscariot. And Judas betrays Jesus in a way to where the, the leaders can actually take him in the middle of the night and try him. And so this is where we're going to pick it up. Jesus is actually in the house of Caiaphas. He's standing trial before the religious leaders. And we're going to go to Matthew chapter 26, starting in verse 59. Here's what it says. Inside, the leading priests and the entire high council were trying to find witnesses who would lie about Jesus so they could put him to death. But even though they found many who agreed to give false witness, they could not use anyone's testimony. Finally, two men came forward and declared, this man said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. So side note, Jesus actually said that, um, kind of. What he was talking about was that he was going to be resurrected from the dead. So um, anybody who can resurrect from the dead and then like predict it and then actually pull it off, that's pretty impressive. So that's what Jesus is predicting. They don't exactly understand that. Verse 62 says, Then the high priest stood up, that's Caiaphas, and said to Jesus, 
Well, aren't you going to answer these charges? What do you have to say for yourself? But Jesus remained silent. Then the high priest said to him, I demand in the name of the living God, tell us if you are the Messiah, the Son of God. In this moment, Caiaphas has put Jesus on trial. And in a way, I think it's actually a striking symbol of how many of us have put Jesus on trial in our lives. We've come to God and we've said, God, if you're really there, or Jesus, if you really are God, show yourself. And we have put Jesus on trial in our lives. Because one thing you cannot do is you cannot ignore Jesus. The historical figure alone that Jesus was, the way he's impacted the world alone deserves attention. And so for many of us, Jesus has been put on trial. And this is what Jesus responds when he is asked if he is the Son of God. In verse 64, Jesus replied, you have said it. And in the future, you will see the Son of Man seated in the place of power at God's right hand and coming on the clouds of heaven. There's kind of a popular misconception that Jesus, nowhere in the Gospels, did he ever say he was God. This is one example of Jesus claiming to be God. See, Jesus recognized a very important matter, that it was more important for him to just be a good, he wasn't just going to be a good moral teacher. He wasn't just going to be a prophet. Jesus claimed in unequivocal terms that he was God. And therefore, we are all left to reckon with what Jesus said. This is what Caiaphas does. It says, Then the high priest tore his clothing to show his horror and said, Blasphemy. Why do we need other witnesses? You have all heard this blasphemy. What is your verdict? Guilty, they shouted. He deserves to die. Then they began to spit in Jesus' face and beat him with their fists. And some slapped him, jeering, Prophesy to, you, to us, you Messiah. Who hit you that time? I find it interesting that Jesus was mocked because they said, give us a sign, but they asked for it on their own terms. You know, I, I think a lot of us, we, we, when we put Jesus on trial, we do this very thing. We say, give us that sign. Show us that you exist. And I was having a conversation with a guy a few weeks ago, and he wouldn't call himself a Christian, and we were talking about this very thing. He said, you know, if God is real, why doesn't he make himself more obvious? And it's honestly a really good question. Like, if you think about it, it's something that I've thought about a lot in my life. Like, if God is the creator of the universe and Jesus is the only way to God, why doesn't God just write on the moon, Jesus saves? Or, or like, why doesn't he show up to people in their living room and say, I am God, figure it out, right? Like, why doesn't he do something like that? Um, where it's just super obvious, that way you, you know, cast, you know, get rid of all doubt of who he is. And here's the scary truth that I'm convinced of, is that for many of us, that wouldn't be enough. And you may look at me and say, Ryan, you're crazy, man. If Jesus appeared to me in my living room, or if it was written on the moon, I would totally believe. And maybe, maybe you would, but maybe you wouldn't. Look at Caiaphas. The very thing that made Caiaphas and the religious leaders want to put Jesus to death in the first place was the fact that he raised someone from the dead named Lazarus. Oh, oh, how about this one? They were mad that he gave sight to somebody who was blind for their entire life. He, he, he healed shriveled hands. Uh, he, he did it on the spot. 
Somehow that didn't convince the religious leaders that Jesus was Lord and they should fall on their knees and worship him. No, what that did is that convinced them to want to put him to death. Why is that? See, I believe what that hits at is this undeniable truth that unbelief is not just this objective absence of faith or belief, but that unbelief is actually a tangible obstacle and very often an opposition to faith. See, we like to convince ourselves that we approach life objectively, that we are just these rational beings who just can completely approach life. We all know that's not true because we all drive, okay? And you're not rational when you're driving. But, you know, we say, okay, like I am just objectively looking at the evidence, like this is how it works. But what the Bible and what Jesus taught is that, no, you're not objective. (laughs) You, You are subjective. And that unbelief can actually it can actually blind you to the reality of truth. Jesus said that there were people, there were towns, there were entire cities that would be judged more harshly on Judgment Day than Sodom and Gomorrah, which we believe was a kind of a sinful city. That these towns would be judged more harshly than Sodom and Gomorrah, not because they were doing crazier sins, but because they saw the miracles of Jesus and didn't believe. So is it possible that you could see Jesus saves on the moon and say, well, I mean, that could have just shown up. What does that mean? Right? Is it possible that there is plenty of evidence? And it's really not a matter of evidence. It's actually a matter of unbelief. I love what Ravi Zacharias says. He's a philosopher and apologist who visits universities. And this is what he said. He said, God has put enough into the world to make faith in him a most reasonable thing, but he has left enough out to make it impossible to live by sheer reason or observation alone. We all like to believe that we can just live by reason and observation and that I am a completely reasonable person, but very often our desires, possibly something spiritual gets in the way. The truth is, the evidence is there. I mean, even an atheist philosopher and scientist named Stephen Jay Gold, he would even admit this. He said, look, uh, 50% of my coworkers believe there's a God. So either 50% of my coworkers are absolute idiots or potentially there's a case for God. Now, he didn't come to that conclusion, but he at least acknowledged, hey, there's at least a case here. You know, I was talking to, we were talking to a really uh, smart young woman and she was, she's in the biology field and she kind of looks into this stuff. She says, look, the more you look into it, the, the crazier it gets. And you're like, man, there has to be something behind this. And you think about the reality of morality, of philosophy, of nature, even the problem of evil. It can point to God, a good God, but very often it's something else that gets in the way. You know, I heard this story of a fisherman. And this fisherman was fishing in a river and he had really a peculiar tendency where he would catch a giant fish, I mean, just a a big fish. And then as soon as he'd catch it, he'd throw it back in the river. He'd keep fishing and catch a little bit of a smaller fish, put it in his bag. Keep fishing, catch a big fish, throw it back. Keep fishing, catch a smaller fish, put it in his bag. Finally, a curious onlooker asked him, he said, yeah, I've noticed you fish, but every time you catch a big fish, you throw it back. And all you keep are the small ones. 
And the guy said to him, well, yeah, but I've only got an eight-inch pan at home. So if I catch a fish bigger than eight inches, I can't even cook it. And I just wonder if some of us have been approaching life this way, where maybe there are some bigger fish out there, but the way we think, our worldview, we've kind of contained it in this eight-inch pan. Can I give you an example? You maybe have heard this. Oh, well, you should only live by what is scientifically verifiable. You should only live by what can be observed, tested. But here's what's crazy, a little bit ironic. You can't prove that you should only live by what is scientifically verifiable. You can't verify that. It's circular. And so is it possible, some of us, it really hasn't been the evidence. Now, I I acknowledge this, that if I were to sit down with you, that you might give me some really valid reasons, some very valid things that you've gone through that have been obstacles to your faith. I'm not discounting that. I'm not discrediting that. I think that's important. I think you need to ask those questions. But I also want to ask you, is it possible that you have limited your view for another reason? And you might say, well, why in the world would I ever limit my own worldview? Because the truth is, we would all want to live by the truth and reality, and we'd all want to be exactly doing what is dictated by the universe or God, right? Like, we want to do it right. But the truth is, Caiaphas didn't want this to be true. See, because for Caiaphas, if Jesus was really God, he was going to lose his position. He was going to lose his power. He was going to definitely suffer a loss of pride. His entire approach to God was going to have to change. His lifestyle, the things that had made him feel better than everybody else, they were going to be ruined if Jesus was right. So my question to you is, is it possible that you don't want Jesus to be God, that you don't want God to be the authority over this universe. It's because it starts to get tricky when it gets personal. And when you start to realize that maybe Jesus is actually God, which means that we need to serve him as Lord, all of a sudden you begin to realize that, ooh, I may not get to call the shots in my life anymore. And I don't get to dictate what is right or wrong based on what I feel is right or wrong. But there's a higher calling. There's a higher standard. He might just ask you to reprioritize your finances and your sex life and everything about your world. He might ask you to do things that you never expected you would do. Because Jesus said crazy stuff. Like he said, if you don't love me more than you love your family, more than you love your kids, more than you love your job, more than you love this world, more than you love yourself, you're not worthy of me. I think a lot of us, we have valid reasons, but very often the most pressing reason that we are refusing to give our lives to God or to bring ourselves to a place of faith is very often because we don't want to lose control of our lives. And so I'm going to ask you to get honest with yourself and say, hey, is there a legitimate unbelief that is being an obstacle or an opposition to belief, to belief in faith? Because I believe this, it is only when you see Jesus for all he is that you can seek Jesus with all you are. 
It is only when you begin to get a picture of who Jesus really is that you will be even able to seek him in a proper light. And you may say, how do I do it? I love the prayer of a father of a demon-possessed boy who Jesus healed. He said, I want to believe. Help me with my unbelief. Did you know that in the kingdom of God, it doesn't take much faith? Jesus compared very often to the, the size of a mustard seed. But the Bible says in Hebrews that in order to please God, you have to approach him with a level of faith. So I really believe that unless we see Jesus for all he is, we can never actually seek Jesus with all we are. And here's the twist. This is kind of where everything begins to turn upside down for those of us who have put Jesus on trial in our lives. And we've, we're holding him to the stand. The reality is that at the end of our lives, it will not be Jesus who is up on the stand defending himself. It will be us. And we will stand before God someday, and we will have to give a defense for what we chose in our lives. And in that moment, I just get the suspicion that saying to God, God, you did not give me enough evidence to believe in you. I just get the suspicion that may not be enough. I get the suspicion that when we get up there and we say, God, but look at how good of a life I lived. I mean, I raised three kids that didn't murder anybody and they went to college and we paid off most of our debt. Look, we know that's a sham. We don't even live up to our own expectations. We don't even live up to our own ideals of what we think is right. How much more do we fail to live up to the expectations of a God who is perfect and good and moral and right? So when we get to that stand, that defense cannot be our own actions, but this is the beauty of the gospel. See, because here is the good news of Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ came so that you could have him take the stand in your defense. So that on that day when you deserve death by your own works, by your own rebellion against God, Jesus could take the stand and say, no, no, I know he deserves death, but I paid for that death on that cross 2,000 years ago. So guess what? He gets my life. And instead of recurring the penalty of your guilt, Jesus will get up on that stand and say, no, 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 I took that guilt of hers upon me 2,000 years ago. She gets my innocence. That is the gospel. And the way that you get Jesus to take the stand in your place is not by being good enough. The way you get Jesus to take the stand in your place is by faith. Faith in Jesus. Faith that he is resurrected from the dead. Faith that he is God. Today, I don't present to you the answers to every cosmological question, but today I do ask you, what do you believe about Jesus? Let's go ahead and pray. God, we thank you that you are with us in the midst of questions. That you're not afraid of questions, you're not afraid of doubts, you're not mad about them, but that God, through your kindness and through your mercy, you lead us to a place of faith. I'm praying for every single person, whether watching here or watching online or in TCI, I'm praying for every single person who is struggling with this concept of faith. And I'm praying that God, if there is a desire for you, that they would begin to utter this prayer, help me with my unbelief. 
we pray that you would make yourself evident to each person, even now. As we remain in an attitude of prayer, I want to I offer an invitation. And it's merely that, it's an invitation. I recognize that many of you are on a journey that is not going to um, just be completely solved today. And so if you're on that journey, continue on that journey. But maybe for some of you, you recognize that you are bankrupt before God and that you have harbored unbelief, that you have harbored uh, that rebellious spirit toward God. But today, I want to offer a courtroom invitation, an invitation to bring Jesus into your place through faith. And so if you say, I am ready for that, I am ready to place my faith in Jesus, I'm ready to give him every bit of me. I want you to know that Jesus said, count the cost, count it, because I'm gonna ask for your whole life. I either get all of you or I get none of you, but if you give me your life, I'll give you real life. And so today, if you say I am ready to make that step, to take that step, to come into a place of faith in Jesus. I wanna give you an opportunity and we're gonna pray a prayer together. And it's actually not as much about the prayer as it is about what's happening in your heart. The prayer is a way to crystallize what's happening. We're gonna pray a prayer of faith to Jesus. The Bible says that when you believe, you will be saved. So we're going to pray this together. Church, will you help me pray? No one will pray alone. Say this. Say, Jesus, I need you. I know I'm a sinner. I know I've made mistakes. But this morning, I make a decision, a commitment to follow you. I believe in you. Jesus, that you died for my sins and you rose from the grave so I could have life with you. With no one looking around, if you prayed that prayer, here's what's really cool. You may not have goosebumps, you may not have tears. You may, but you may not. The Bible actually says that there was a miracle that took place in your spirit, in your heart, where you have actually been born again. You've been born into the family of God. Hope you enjoyed today's podcast. There are a couple things I'd love for you to do. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. That helps us spread the word and impact more people. You can also help us see others connected to God by investing today at believers.cc give. And if you want updates on all things Believers Church, check out believers.cc or follow us at A City Connected on Twitter and Instagram or search Believers The Connecting Place on Facebook. The best way to connect with BC is live and in person at one of our weekend worship experiences. We have locations in Boardman and Warren, and you can get the service times and plan your visit at believers.cc. Thanks for tuning in to the BC Podcast.